nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Autographs Auto New Baseball Podcast, uh, now hosted on Rotographs. Uh, my name is Justin Vibber, and I'm joined tonight by Tom Oltarzuski, Joe Douglas, and Trey Bond. How are you doing tonight, guys? I'm good. Howdy. I'm good. How are you? All right. So I think what we'll do is I'm going to turn it over to Trey real quick. Uh, he can kind of recap. Um, we all had our first official post on rotographs this past week uh that trey put together most of it and I, i'll turn it over to him we just kind of wanted to to briefly touch on uh what auto new is why we all play it why we all are so passionate about it that we're recording podcasts and blogging about it um so on that note i will turn it over to trey Well, the good news is that AutoNew is expanding this year on the Rotograph, so we're glad to be a part of that and pretty thankful to participate. So we've got a new a new schedule. We'll be bringing two articles a week to Rotographs on the subject of AutoNew, primarily about baseball, um, but possibly to weave in uh, football in the future. But uh, yeah, like Justin said, we posted our first article uh, the week of uh, the day of January 13th, and it's basically a foundational article of what is auto news. So we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And a lot of people ask um, what it is. And so there's a lot of highlights. So I thought what we talk about is just, I don't think we need to rehash this article. It's available on Rotographs, but I did think what we would talk about is what we like about the game. I've been playing for, let's see, I guess I'm heading into my sixth season. Uh, which is kind of surprising. I know Joe and I talked about this earlier today that we never thought it would quite develop into uh, something that we would put on rotographs or a podcast or anything like that. It was just something that we enjoy playing right out of the gate when it was new. I think we've all seen Auto New go through a lot of impressive changes over the last five years, uh, some very recently as it's grown. But it is definitely growing, and we can attest to that by a pretty large community of game players that we're a part of on the Slack community, which is mentioned in the article. So if you play Auto New or you're thinking about playing it, you definitely want to join us there. But I guess first and foremost, Auto New is probably the premier fantasy baseball game that's available out there. In fact, there was an article written a few weeks ago I read that, that compared all the major fantasy platforms and it did not mention Auto New, which I thought was disappointing. Um, because it's probably the best platform that you haven't heard of. So just by chance, if you're listening to this and you still aren't quite familiar with what the game is, it's um, it's the best platform out there. It's growing. It's uh, one of the best things that we mentioned in the article, I think, is the last thing, which probably is the most important, which is the developer, Niv Shaw, is, um, is very, very active, very accessible, and constantly trying to improve the platform and make it more usable, to make it more um, competitive with other fantasy sports. 
brought on fantasy football this year. So um, it's a great platform. It's a, it offers an opportunity to play at an entry level or at an expert level in, in prize leagues. So um, I don't know. Has anybody else been playing for quite that long? Justin, I don't remember when you started. Uh, I started the second year of Autonews. So I've only been playing whatever that is, four full, full seasons, I think. And this will be the fifth. Um, cause you started the, with Bull Durham and that, that, that kicked off the first year of Autonew, uh, the first year they existed, right? It did. I, I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm, I'm almost positive now thinking back that I saw an advertisement for Autonew on Fangraphs. I mean, that was the only place I must've seen it. And I, at the time I was playing a CBS league that I had had for at least 10 years. Oh, yeah. And that I started, I think, and I started when I was in college and I just, it looked interesting. I checked it out and I said, Hey, let's, let's consider moving this or maybe starting a new league on this new platform. I was very, very attracted to the sabermetric aspect of it. The deep, um, you know, the deep analysis that was integrated with Fangrass, which was really appealing, which wasn't there for, for CBS. And within, I'd say within two or three years, we essentially moved our entire CBS platform over to Autonew, and I don't think we've looked back since. Uh, so, having I think played, you started the first year, didn't you, Joe? I, I started the second year, actually. Tom and oh, I you did. Okay, yeah. The first league I was in was with Tom, actually. So, um, but I had a question for you, Trey. Having played five years, and I guess a question for each of us: What's your favorite feature about? Auto new or like if you had to pick one is there anything that really sticks out to you or um i know we love the game as a whole and that's why we're doing this uh, yeah i it's hard to pick one i i do like the 40 i like how deep it is i mean i, I love the 40 man rosters it was bigger than what i was used to playing in cbs which i would consider to be sort of a casual fantasy baseball experience not quite like what you would call friends and family type of a league but it wasn't super deep um, and I, I love owning a lot of minor league players. I love having access to, to own any player that I want. And I particularly like doing it at, a, at an auction format. So basically literally buying any player that you feel is worth it by bidding $1 more than anybody else. All right. So Trey just named everything. So let's all try and pick something else. <laughs> so what about, so what about you, Tom? So how did you, how did you get started? What, what appealed to you about? Audinu and what is so, um, thing about it? I think I do remember seeing an ad on Fangraphs back um, when the very first season started, and I had the same thing. I'd been playing in some, um, I think, Yahoo or ESPN leagues, and um, I didn't quite want to make the jump the first season, but when the second season came up, I remember I had emailed um, Eno Saris of Rotographs, kind of wondering about what's the best way to put together a keeper league, because a couple of friends of mine we wanted to basically take our Yahoo league and start doing a keeper league instead of just redrafting every year. And, you know, kind of gave me some advice on the best way, but he also said, you know, you could check out this platform, uh, I don't know. And it would kind of maybe take care of the keeper type of stuff for you. Um, so I ended up looking at that. I got a couple of my friends from the Yahoo league um, and we started a league and then I advertised on Twitter for a couple other owners, which is actually and uh, how I Joe and I <laughs> met. Yeah. <laughs> so um so we started up that league um i remember back in the first draft none of us really had any idea what we were doing but um over the years since then you know a lot of us have learned talking to other owners and then 
uh, if I could pick something kind of as one of many favorites, uh, we eventually started the Slack community, which, I mean, for my two cents, that really exploded the level of knowledge just across the board because it went from, you know, a couple of us talking in different leagues or just talking to people in your league to all of a sudden you could see the scores from every league across there and you could talk to people playing against almost every owner. So all of those strategies that we had been kind of feeling out were suddenly, um, what's the word? They kind of coalesced into like a set of really strong strategies that you could talk about. Yeah, I feel like once Slack yeah. kind of got pushed to the forefront, everything became way more accessible as far as ideas yeah. are concerned. Um, I guess I can kind of hop in. I My first league was actually with Tom, and it was just responding on Twitter. And I didn't play the first year because I was kind of skeptical about the format. And then second year, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give it a try, and I'll see what I end up thinking about this. Found Tom on Twitter, and I've been playing for four years and three or four leagues every year uh, since. So... Um, that's kind of my story as far as how I got involved. As far as my favorite um, favorite thing about the format, I, I agree with Trey. It's definitely how deep the rosters are. I really like that um, with having 40-man rosters, you can own anyone in the game or in the minors. Um, it can, and it can be pretty defensible. Um, we can get into the weeds as far as like who you should or shouldn't keep. But um, really, everyone is available, and the rosters are deep enough that you can typically make a spot for anyone you want to own. So. I, that's probably my favorite thing about the format. What Justin didn't say is that he didn't start in the first year, but he plays in every <laughs> single league for the past four years. So. Yes, yes, yes. That's yeah, for those know, of you listening who don't <laughs> understand that joke. Justin is uh, in way more leagues than any of the rest of us. <laughs> He's infamous for being in so many leagues. It, in fact, it is a jo- it is a joke, but it is. I mean. It's it is interesting. I think that there are so many people that play in multiple yeah. leagues. So again, I'm just thinking back to when I started. I had one CBS league. You know, it was a great league. I had a really group, good group of guys that I moved over to AutoNew. But I now play in uh, three, possibly four, coming up in this season. I think Justin's in six. But most people that we've talked to are in multiple leagues. I can't tell you exactly why that is. I I really think it comes down to the fact that. Autonew is is kind of hard. I mean, in a sense that it's a premier game and a lot of people like trying different strategies. And I think a lot of teams or a lot of owners, you know, they realize that it's sort of a long game. You're not going to win every season. So sometimes it's fun to rebuild on one team and sometimes it's fun to just try to uh, dominate a, a, a team uh, for one season. So that's my impression of why so, so many people play and multiple I, And leagues. I think at the end of the day, Trey, that really sp- – speaks to how good the format is as a whole is that a lot of the people who are involved are in multiple leagues and they keep coming back. Um, so, I, I mean, at least from my, if, my vantage point, like I, I was only in one uh, non Yahoo. I mean, non auto new league. I was in a Yahoo league before I switched, um, but it was only ever one. And it, I consistently see so many people being in multiple leagues all the time. Tom, did you want I to think um, one thing that's interesting on that point too, is that um <laughs> You know, back in the first couple seasons of Adenu, uh, there were not that many leagues in general. So I, I think what would happen a lot of time is, say, if somebody started up one new league, they'd be searching for owners. And if they had maybe 11 owners, someone from another league on Twitter would say, OK, I'll join a second one. Um, and it became kind of like this. Um, I don't want to say inbreeding, but a lot of owners were kind of rotating through different leagues. It's interesting that now that we've gotten on the Slack community, that's kind of continued 
where some of the more veteran owners play in multiple leagues. And then as new people are coming in, they kind of pick up on that. And they want to, like you said, play in one league where they're contending and one where they're rebuilding. Um, but I think what's really cool is that some of the veteran owners are in so many leagues. So it's easy to join a league and you're playing with Justin or with me or with Trey or with Joe. And you can kind of get a chance to learn from people that have been playing for longer as well as playing with people who this might be their first season. And we should say, too, that like we've all done pretty well with the format. But I think we would all admit that Otternew is very fun, regardless of whether you're rebuilding or contending. Am, am yeah. I correct in that statement? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, what I was going to say is I think, I mean, speaking as the one that's in the most leagues of any of us, um, I think that's really the biggest part of it. I think it's two, it's two parts of it. Number one, the community is great. I mean, it's hard to say no to a league when – you know that the the group of guys that are in that league is a really great group of guys or or someone's starting a new league and it's a bunch of other owners that you you know because we communicate um outside of the game itself because we have this slack community um because that's that's part of the reason that's the biggest reason that i play and i'm sure it's probably the biggest reason you guys play is to have fun it's to have fun with another group of of owners that that are like-minded you know we're all baseball nerds and we all like competing but as much as that it's it's about um having fun enjoying baseball and enjoying fantasy baseball. Um, but, jo- but Joe's exactly right. I mean, that's the other part of, of being in as many leagues as I'm in a lot of it's because I picked up reclamation projects. I picked up teams that I wanted to see if I could turn them around in a year uh, or two years or whatever, and, and try some different strategies. And there's, there's very much uh, sort of an addictive nature to auto sometimes where <laughs> you, you realize you're like, Oh, I can't just have one league. I mean, I want to own all these other players and I only have one roster or, or I want to try, you know, a different strategy. Or the biggest thing for me is every year that I've played, I've wanted to be in a new league so I could go through the experience of a, of a year one auction all over again. Cause there's nothing quite, um, there's nothing quite like doing your first auction in a brand new fresh league. That first year auto new draft is the best experience in fantasy sports. It's, I, I no question. It that. almost makes me wish there was like a mock draft site so I could just auction <laughs> all the time. <laughs> just, just, so, just so you could go through that process and we could, yeah. you know, in fact, it's we a good did. Thing uh, that there's, for, there's not a mock draft system because. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't really mock draft when the auction takes seven, eight, eight hours, hours yeah. to complete. But um, that just, it's just more fun. That's just a longer time you get to enjoy uh, the, the auction experience because. Uh, for me personally, the way I got started with Audenew, I'd been playing way back in the day. And, and anybody that knows me on the Slack community is probably not going to believe this, but I used to play rotisserie. Um, it used to be, I played rotisserie cause that's all there was back in the day. There really weren't points leagues. Um, but I, before I started with Audenew, I'd been just like Trey. I was in a CBS league that had existed for probably five or six years um, and it was a CBS head to head, but it was a points league, not a rotisserie league. And it was an auction league. So I had already had experience with auction leagues. I already had experience with points leagues. What I really found appealing about Autonew though is you get rid of the head to head. So you don't have any of that variance. It's really truly the best team that, that accumulates the most points. They're the ones that win the league. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, any head to head variance, which is sometimes can be fun and sometimes can be. Not so fun. Um, but the other reason that Autonew really appealed to me was because of the point system was specifically designed around linear weights. The point system I was playing in the CBS league was, you know, 
one point for an RBI and four for a home run and three for a triple and one for a win and minus one for a, you know, a blown save. And I mean, all those garbage, you know, meaningless uh, fantasy categories that then were just sort of arbitrarily assigned points. I think it was the default CBS point structure with a, with a few tweaks and the, and the point structure never made any sense. Like you lost a point for striking out as a batter, which those of us that know anything about sort of hitter value and linear weights and the saber metrics, it's you really shouldn't be penalized for striking out. Yeah. You, if, by striking out, you don't get a chance to put the ball in play, but there's really nothing inherently wrong with striking out as a hitter. So, and I, I remember I uh, want to hop uh, in real quick and just, just say too that none of this is to say that CBS or Yahoo or any or ESPN or whatever format you want to use is bad. It's just that like for what we want and how we value baseball, um, especially with this point scoring, like if you're, if you're any form of sabermetric bent, um, the scoring is something that like just isn't paralleled in any other format. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially I, not just sabermetrics, but um, like if you're anybody that reads fan graphs, yeah. chances are, you know, you're a little more <coughs> sabermetric bent when, you know, whether or not you're like heavily into it. So I think Adenu, I mean, it really does cater to the fan graphs type of reader, whether that means you're into every advanced stat or just that, you know, you know that RBIs aren't the best stat for a hitter. I think Adenu kind of caters to that type of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing I wanted to highlight as, as we're talking about the things that we we like about Adenu, um, it's one thing that that's Niv said on a number of occasions when he talks about the game and specifically when he was talking about um, starting football as, as a service that it it's no longer just Adenu baseball. It's now there's an Adenu football as well. Um, one of the things that he said while he was doing that was really Audenew is it's almost like an economic system. It's almost an, an economic market applied to a fantasy game. And it very much is. And from the sense of the initial auction and you're acquiring players via auction and in season, you're acquiring them ver- via a 48 hour blind auction and um, the, the cap penalties for cutting a player and and the waivers and everything. It's very much a sort of a structure that he then applied into football. And I think it worked really well. I mean, Tom and I, I think we would both agree it, it was a really good application in fantasy football. And it's a lot of the same structure that, that exists currently in baseball, just tweaked a little bit for, for football, obviously being a different sport with different rosters and everything else. But um, it's very much sort of a system. Um, and I think it, that's what's as, as much as anything else, that's what's appealing about the game is that, you know, you're, you're learning. And that's a lot of why we have the Slack community is there can be a little bit of a learning curve because you're trying to understand, okay, wait a second, there's two catcher slots, but I can only start, you know, 162 games at catcher or wait a second, I can cut a guy. And then in 30 days I can re-add him again to cut my cap penalty in half. You know, there's, there's some of those sort of, I mean, they're not secrets, but they're things that, right. They're nuances, they're quirks that, that there's nothing some people get up in arms about, but really there's nothing inherently wrong with those quirks. It's just that it takes some experience to know what those quirks are. And I, I think that's a lot of the reason we've tried to communicate things that we have in the, in the Slack community. And it's a lot of what we're going to talk about as we post articles and on rotographs is, is to help people kind of get past that initial learning curve and, and skip all those speed bumps that we, we experienced through our four or five, six years uh, 20 plus years collectively, the four of us playing Audenew over the years. So, yeah, just to pick up 
about the comment about the process. I mean, the other thing to know about AutoNew is that it's it's year round, so it, it really never yeah. sleeps. I mean, we're bringing you a podcast right now in the middle of January. Um, you know, trades are going down probably as much in January as they are in July. So it's a year round process. It's a year round format. So you should know that before you get into it, because you really are committing yourself to being accessible year round. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, goalposts that have to happen during a season, whether it's a keeper deadline or a trade deadline or arbitration, things like that. But you really are communicating with 11 other owners in your league for the most part year round. So you really do get to know these guys very well. Um, you know, there's hot and cold stretches where there'll be a lot of activity and, and a little bit. But it's great to to be involved. It's let's put it this way: it's great to see things happen on um, MLB trade rumors, and it be relevant to your fantasy league in December or January. <laughs> and that's sort of what happens in AutoNews. Yeah, and I think for anyone who follows baseball as closely as the four of us, um, and if you're reading Fangraphs, you're probably in that boat. It it's how I, uh, speaking for myself, make it through the baseball offseason because you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's it. Like that's really it because it's baseball all the time. Um, and even when the games aren't happening, I can tinker as much as I want with my rosters. Um, and there's not an off season. It just, I mean, like the games aren't happening, but that action is just, uh, it's just as steady as steady of a flow, um, as it was in March or April. Yeah, that's a great point. So I, I think we've covered this pretty well, but maybe for those that are, are intrigued and are thinking about joining just a couple of, um, specifics. Number one, right now, AutoNew offers really two primary formats. Roto, there's a four by four format and there's a five by five format. And then two different point systems. One is Fangraph points and one is um, a FIP-based uh, Sabermetrics points, which is similar. Those are the two standard offerings. Right, We've had a lot of questions about whether or not head-to-head -head is offered. It's not right now, but it could be something that's offered in the future. That's not really our call, but I do think there's enough interest and enough questions that it could be an option in the near future. Um, that's actually, if I could jump for one second, too. Um, you just hit on one of the great things about Adenu. Uh You mentioned Niv Shah, the founder, before. I mean, he's on Slack. He's on all the message boards. And we've seen, you know, dozens of times in the past couple of months, someone will say, hey, Niv, what about such and such kind of feature? And the next day, Niv's like, yeah, go check it out. I added that. So, you know, if somebody's asking about head-to-head -head or asking about various scoring formats, Niv is kind of listening and always thinking about what can I add or what would be a cool new feature. <laughs> yeah, and in addition to that, I would say there there have been some custom leagues set up in AutoNew just on our own. So even if Niv, even if it's not a structural change that Niv can make, there's been some leagues that have made some changes. It's it's flexible enough as a system where you can make some changes and customize those for a league, if, especially if you've been playing for a couple of years and you want to try something slightly different. Um, but all auto new leagues are auction leagues, which essentially means that you can keep your players for as long as you like, as long as you can afford them. So in some ways, it's like a dynasty league. Um, it, it moves a, a slightly bit faster than a dynasty league would, I would say. Uh, because of the way that dollars flow and the economics that Justin mentioned. But all, all leagues are pretty standard as far as auction, roto or points, 40-man rosters, $400 uh, total cap space. Uh, that's sort of the standard that you can expect as you join an auto new yep. league. Yeah, and, and really the um, 
that that's the structure that I was referring to before. That it's really the it's the four hundred dollar cap. It's the it's the way that players are acquired via auction. Um, you're right. That's that's all. That structure is retained no, no matter what format you're actually playing in, whether it's rotisserie or one of the points leagues. Um, and and I'll just you know reiterate again uh, the comment about Niv and, and how responsive he is. I mean he's he's made rule changes, especially in the points leagues, over the years based on feedback he's had from users. Um, so he you know it doesn't mean that every suggestion he gets he has the time to go right in and change right away because it really is. It's a one-man show. I mean, he he runs it all himself, um, so he can't always be um, as as responsive as he might want to be. But he definitely takes the feedback from the community to heart, um, and he's definitely always there. If, if you have a question or if you reach out to him, um, he gets back to you quick. Certainly, a lot quicker no, than especially during draft season. I mean, he's like on red yeah. alert twenty four seven. Yeah, well, I think that really right. wraps up what Otternew is and gives everyone, especially Niv, the credit he's due. Um, but there is a pretty big date coming up in the Otternew universe, um, being January 31st, and that's the cut deadline. And I just wanted is, do any of you have specific strategies as we near the cut deadline or specific things that you wanted to point out? Well, hopefully, um, if anybody's listening to this, they've seen some of our advice on the Slack community and they haven't cut any of their players yet. <laughs> Since my number one advice is don't cut your players until the trade deadline is or cut deadline, sorry, is coming up. Um, you so know, we're Tom, getting into that season now. <laughs> that that mantra of not cutting players before you have to is, is probably going to be something we repeat as often as our don't pay $80 for quarterbacks strategy in the, in the football. Um but yeah, that's, I mean, I know people do make cuts because I don't know, it's cathartic. You want to get rid of a bum that you know you're not going to keep and, I mean, or you think that there's a strategic reason, but it's one thing if it's one guy and he's a bum. It's another thing if you cut like 20 players a month ago. <laughs> well, well, somebody posted on Slack yesterday or today that, that they had cut a, was it a para, you know, a $7 Gerardo para or something. And, and now they regret it because, yeah, I mean, there was no reason Rockies, to regret so. that. <laughs> Okay, so so I guess my question then for each of you is, as you near the deadline, is there a general approach that you try to follow? Or like, wh- what's your thought process as you near the 31st? As far as physically, like, when to, to make your cuts? Is that what you mean? Um, when to make your cuts? I mean, I'm assuming on the 31st, we're, all of us are in that camp. But um, even beyond that, like, as far as keeping players, do you tend to keep players because of positional need? Or is it all, uh, I think this player's worth this, and he's paid this, so... I will or won't keep them yeah, on that. Like, how do you make your decisions? All you right, well, I'll, one I'll, by one, but. I'll start with that. Um, this is also not going to come to a, as a surprise to anybody that, that follows the conversation on Slack, but I'm pretty much a, a pure value guy when it comes to who I'm keeping and who I'm not. Um, I have dollar values on that I create, that I go through the process of, of figuring out. Um, and I keep the guys that I think are worth more than I'm, they have a salary and they, that's about it. I don't keep, and we, we call Justin. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, there's a variety of reasons. Number one, I, I just personally, I think that's the best way to do it. I, I don't, I don't believe or, or agree with the people that say they, they keep somebody that they think is, yeah, sure. Maybe he's overpaid by a couple bucks, but you know what? I really need a shortstop and I don't think there's going to be any available. So I'll lock in the certainty now. Personally, I think that's a mistake. I don't think it's a huge mistake, but I think it's definitely a mistake. And it's not how I choose to make keeper decisions. Um, but the other 
probably just as important reason I don't do things that way is I just have too many teams to kind of make subjective calls along the way. I just, it's, it's, it's a process I go through and I, it's very clear cut. Is this guy a keeper? Yes or no. And it's all based on the surplus that I think that player has. Um, and as far as the question about when to cut, I'm going to go a little bit out on a limb because I don't actually cut on the 31st. I will probably do most of my cuts on the 29th or the 30th. Again, for the same reason um, that I can be a little robotic with my keeper and cut decisions is because I have too many leagues to hope that I'm going to get to all my cuts. I don't want to get to midway through the 31st and realize I haven't cut anybody yet, and I, I need to make sure I do it now, but I have 10-plus leagues to make those cuts in. So I'll, I'll probably start that process on the 29th or the 30th and then use the 31st as my, okay, these guys were on the bubble and then I'll make that final call on the 31st, but all my clear cuts, I'll probably start making on the 29th and the 30th. So. Yeah. As Justin was talking, I was thinking how nice it would be if you could queue up a cut to, to happen at a certain time, but you like sched- that may come in the schedule future. Schedule a cut. Yeah. Yeah. Ske- schedule a cut. Yep. But uh, yeah, I, I won't play devil's advocate to what Justin said. I mean, I, I definitely, I think I agree mostly with, with what he said. I mean, you, you want to keep players obviously that have, that are worth you know, what you pay them or more, potentially more. So um, I will say, though, that sort of the devil's advocate stance on what he said, though, is that, you know, we don't have the ability or we're kidding ourselves if we have the ability to be so precise as to, to narrow down a guy's value within a dollar or two. And so we see that comment sometimes on Slack. And I think that's true in general. You just what you have to do is you have to just believe in your value system. Right. And so you have to figure out, look, this is how I value a guy. I fully recognize that another team is going to value them differently. That happens in every single league, no matter who you're playing with. And you just have to make a call. And I think if I'm going to guess what Joe will say, and I think I'm going to agree with him, that you probably want to make more calls than you probably think you would. If, if you if there's a guy on a bubble, you probably want to go ahead and cut him because it, for me, uh, to, to answer Joe's original question, for me, I try not to get too wrapped up in whether a specific player will be available in the auction. I try to think about will there be a similar player. So um, if I'm going to cut a – I'm trying to think of an example, but I did this last year when I drafted, which is I need a second baseman. I've got them all lined up. I think Neil Walker is the best guy available, but – Howie Kendrick is a couple slots below him. If Neil Walker goes to, you know, higher than what I'd like, I'm fine taking Howie Kendrick. I'll just reinvest a couple dollars I save somewhere else. And that's sort of the same stance that I take when I look at keepers that look at Howie Kendrick at seven bucks or 10 bucks. Maybe he's, maybe I should keep him, but maybe not. But if I keep him, who am I foregoing? If I cut him, there's going to be plenty of guys that are, you know, 700 point second baseman pretty easily yeah and i think i'm just gonna hop in and go off of that because i i think you and i are in pretty close alignment trey for me i'm i'm not nearly as robotic as justin as far as it does this player um is he worth more than what i'm paying him or not i i think it goes back to like you said trey your value system and how you want to assign values to players generally though and this would be my caution for anyone listening um what i've witnessed is that leagues as a whole keep far too many players so if you have 
if you look at your team and it's like, man, I have 20 players that I want to keep that I really feel good about. And then there's maybe five or so that are on the fence. If you have a really strong conviction about one of those five guys and you think that maybe you're paying them two or three more than you should, but you really feel like you should keep them, then by all means, keep them. But what I end up seeing in a lot of leagues is that by and large, teams are keeping five or so players that they shouldn't. And it's so it's not it's not one individual player that's really going to hurt you as far as keeping a player when you probably shouldn't or they're overpaid. It's when you do that five or six times um, as a whole. And then the whole league ends up keeping 50 or 60 players that they probably shouldn't as opposed to keeping one or two on each team. I think that's when you really get into trouble. Um, at least in my and that's that's general habit and what I'll be writing about on Friday that I, I've seen across all auto new leagues is that by and large there are just far too many keepers no one's saying you shouldn't stick to your guns and have convictions about one or two guys that you really think are going to overperform what projections say they will um but you should at least be cautious and that's really i mean that's really a lot of the reason that i do the way that i do it is i i want to be more conservative erring more on the side as trey said err more on the side of cut versus keep um, and, and that follows with what you're saying as well, Joe, that, that most owners in many leagues are probably keeping too many players. So I'd rather err on the side of cutting versus keeping. Um, and then the other side of that is, as you kind of mentioned, you alluded to this as well, is it, it gets to be a slippery slope. Once you start making exceptions and you start saying, well, this guy, yeah, he's probably overpaid, but, but I really like him. He's a cub or he's a cardinal or, or I, you know, I get to watch him and I want to keep him. And, and everybody can do that. I mean, I'm not telling anyone that they shouldn't keep whoever they want to keep for whatever reason they want to. Um, but once you start making those exceptions, those logical exceptions, then you do it a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth time. And, and then that's what Joe's saying is, is that's you've now done that four or five times and there's no consistency between which guys you decided to, to break your own rule for. Um, and you've probably made a mistake in the aggregate as far as, as keeping too many players and locking yourself out of an opportunity to maybe get some of those guys back or as, as Trey said, equivalent players um, at, at a reduced price. And, you know, and that's, that's really to win at Audenew, if If your goal is to win, it's acquiring as much assets as you can. We all have the same resources. We all have $400 in cap um, going into an auction. And to win, you need to to have the best team coming out of the auction, and then you need to have the best in-season management, you know, lineups and trades and everything else. Um, but the biggest, I think the step one is is coming out of the auction with the best team and coming out of the keeper deadline with the best keepers. And, you know, I think Joe would agree with this as well. The way you do that is by having surplus value. I mean, that's it. It's, well, and- it's not by... And to go off of that, too, if, if I can butt in, I know there are going to be people in the Slack community that don't want to hear the word surplus because we've been saying it all offseason. <laughs> but it, it, I really think it's important to say that like the definition of that isn't even so rigid as to like use the surplus calculator, at least as I'm trying to explain this. I think the best thing that you can do, and I've, I've done this across probably 10 to 15 leagues this offseason, is just look in general at what projections say as far as how many surplus assets exist in leagues. And don't even look at who they are. Just like try to see a general number of how many assets have surplus. I've looked at 10 to 15 leagues this offseason, and it's between 115 and 130 in nearly every case. Um, and if you're looking at like a 12-team league, that's just over 10 keepers per team. Um, but yet I don't see many leagues where you have under 20 keepers per team right 
and it, so, and, and I don't say that to say that like we are so far wrong um, and, and there's no recovery from this. I, I just look at it and say, you know what, maybe there's some wiggle room and you say, okay, well, I think it's, there's 120 or 130 surplus players in the league. Um, and maybe I can get up to like 160 or so by the time I add in prospects and by the time I add in players that I want to keep and then trade with a loan. Um, but, but when you're jumping a whole 150 players to like 200 to 250 keepers that a lot of leagues see, um, it, at, at a certain point, it's just really hard to defend. And I, right. and I don't know if that kind of touches on what you were saying, Trey. Um, but I think that happens when, when you're not willing um, to cut a guy, maybe that you like, but that you you just don't think that you can get back in the auction. And and I would encourage teams to, I know Trey said this a couple of times, live dangerously, go into the auction and try to pick players up there because chances are you can at least find something comparable, even if it's not the exact guy that you had to begin with, and you can probably do it for the same cost. I think to jump on yeah. um, what Joe's saying there too for a second is that uh, we're seeing that most teams in most leagues are keeping too many players. You know, so in most leagues, that means 10, 11, or 12 teams are falling into this trap. If you're the one team that throws more players back, all of a sudden you're going to be the one with an advantage in the auction. You know, so I see a lot of people say, well, I don't want to cut too many players. No one else is going to cut them, and then there'll be nothing available in the auction. But I think actually a little bit of the opposite happens, that if you're the one who kind of opens up a lot of space in your team, all of a sudden everyone else in the auction is going to be saying, man, I wish I had that money. There's so many deals available. So you're really kind of using that opportunity to get the advantage, not to go along with the the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. You were starting to say something, Trey. Well, I just, just to reiterate what you were saying, Joe, I, and I agree with Tom too. I mean, I think people are... I think people err on the side of keep because they the auction offers this massive uncertainty. They, you know, they just don't know. Sometimes the the auction is intimidating because you never know if you'll get that player. You never know if someone will outbid you. But I try to look at it a little differently. That I, I can get any player I want as long as I'm willing to go that extra dollar. And so basically, I feel like if I let a guy go the Whoever I won the auction is mine. I mean, I can own them if I if I choose to. So when you look at, but when you when you release a guy and you cut a guy that you that you do like, there's this intimidating feeling sometimes where you're like, well, I may never get this guy back, so I'll just I'll just be willing to overpay him by a few dollars just so I don't have to worry about getting that guy back. And that's certainly understandable. And I think that goes into the other thing I was going to say, which is. Sometimes you get too attached to certain players. And I think that one of the things that we're finding as we play more and more seasons, and I think probably because we play in more and more leagues, is that you you eventually have to get to a point where you're not attached to certain players. Because if you are, you will overpay for those players. Because you know, right now I own Miguel Sano, and I am just thrilled to own him this year. But you know, at some point it could make sense for me to trade him because the market may value him more than I do. And I've got to be willing to treat him like almost like a financial asset instead yep. of a, a player that I own his Jersey. So um, it's very difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's easier said than done. And we all have our tendencies and we all have our weaknesses when it comes to owning certain players that we really, really like. But as you do this more and more and more, you've just got to treat them 
indifferently in the sense that you're willing to cut a guy or trade a guy because it makes your team better. Yeah. Just to jump in real quick. That's another thing that I think, you know, I have a somewhat unique perspective on that idea because I do own so many teams that, you know, having that many teams, I have the luxury of having, you know, this guy own in three leagues, this guy own in four leagues, you know, and, and you'll every once in a while you're here fantasy, uh, columnists or podcasters discuss this in the terms of I have X many shares of that player, um, which really reduces that, that player into what you were saying, Trey, where it's almost like it's a financial asset because that's really what they are. I mean, the player is, is a financial asset within the economic world of Audenew. And, and yes, we all play fantasy sports because we want to root for the guys on our team and we want to root for the, the guys that are on our, the team that we like that we root for. Um, but ultimately, the, to, if you want to be as successful as you can be, you kind of have to, to disassociate from that and treat them more like the assets that they are. And if if you get to a point where you're holding an asset and the rest of the market values that asset higher than you do, then you should be trading that asset. I mean, that's that's just a purely economic decision that that makes sense to do. Yeah, and if I can jump on that point too, um, a very similar point about the auction. I've heard a lot of people say when they're thinking about what um, player they're going to cut, they say, "Well, I think he's you know five or six, eight, ten dollars overpaid, but I think he's going to go for more in the auction." And kind of my response to that, which I think you guys will agree with to a point, is that if someone else is willing to pay more than you think that player is worth, let them. You know, you can either try to trade that player to that team and get a return, or if that's not going to work out, just cut the guy. And when somebody else spends too much money on him, you just sit back and say, okay, waste your money, because that's just more chance that you're going to have in the auction to get underpaid players while the other teams waste their money. So um, I, I think people fall into a trap a little of saying, well, if people are willing to pay for that guy, then that kind of gives him some sort of market surplus. But um, I think what you really need to be thinking is that if he's not offering you surplus value to your team, then you should just let someone else do what they're going to do and don't get swept up again in the uh, the herd mentality. I called it before. Yeah, I, I just want to circle back to that that point you made earlier too, Tom, where you were talking about you know if you're the only team that's not keeping everybody you know four or five dollars over value, and then you go into auction and, and you're able to reap the benefits of of not having as much competition because you have more money to spend than anyone else. I mean, that's a perfect illustration of the concept of inflation. If, if every other owner in your league is keeping players, keeping too many players, as Joe would say, um, if they're keeping too many players, then that means that they're also pulling money out of the auction um, that could be spent on assets. And, and there's a, a dichotomy there where, there's just as many assets as there were, but now there's less money to spend on them. And and you as the team that cut as much as you could and cleared as much cap as you could, you could reap the benefits of that. Um, now, you don't always know exactly who's going to get cut or who's going to not. So it's always kind of a a little bit of a dance there on, on the 31st of January to decide. Maybe that helps you decide whether you should cut you know, a $68 Mike Trout, for example, if you feel like inflation is going to be really low in your league. I'd be more likely to cut a $68 Mike Trout. But if inflation is very high in the league because most teams have really excellent values, it's a fourth or a fifth year league where there's a lot of surplus value tied up in the league, I'd be less likely to cut a $68 Mike Trout um, because he, would, he wouldn't he would go for a discount or he wouldn't go for less than you know maybe a 10% inflation premium. Um, so, But that's definitely key is, is 
if, if you feel like the rest of your league is keeping too many players, then that's exactly what you should not be doing is keeping too many players because you can take advantage of the fact that, that you have more money to spend than anybody else and you're getting those values. Yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up that I think is related to this when we were talking earlier about being uh, com- you know, confident in your valuations. We've talked a little bit about this on Slack, but I think it's it's interesting to bring it up is the um, the influence of Steamer because Steamer has the benefit, so to speak, of being the first value system or first projection system that comes out every year. And it's amazing to me, even though we would all deny it, how much we're influenced by that first projection system, which in this case is Steamer. And it's, it's sort of like spring training. I mean, everybody says the stats don't matter, ignore it, but you can't help it. I mean, it's, it's there. It's the only thing that you have as an input in a lot of ways to some of these value systems. And a lot of us say, well, I disagree here or there on this player. But I think it is interesting how this is a, you know, this is a, a separate topic maybe, but how interesting it is that steamer influences some of these keep and cut decisions and these values when we talk about surplus calculator and things like that. And we'll be doing our own rankings pretty soon and we'll all manipulate certain projections for certain players up or up or down based on things. But steamer is a big input and it just happens to be the first one. So some recency bias, I think there. Um, so I guess the only reason I bring that up is if you're listening Dig into the stats. Don't just don't just run a spreadsheet of of steamer projections and say this is who I'm cutting. And I think Justin did a really really nice job of building the surplus calculator in a way that gives you the foundation of some basic uh, valuations, some basic dollar values, but then allows you to tweak here and there, up or down on certain players. And we get that question a lot on Slack, especially from from people that are new to Auto New, which is how in the world do I know what a a $40 outfielder looks like, or how do I know what I should pay for an ACE level pitcher or something like that? And so you can begin to tweak and do those things with some of the tools that, that Justin has built. Yeah. And, and I'll be writing more about the, the surplus calculator this Wednesday uh, on the 20th. Um, and the, I, I want to make that clear again. It, I've, I've added a ton of disclaimers to the, calculator itself. I, I bring it up all the time when it's discussed on Slack. There are values preloaded in that, but those are not meant to be. These are, are 100% accurate. Use these as the gospel of auto new Fangraphs points values or five by five values. The, the calculator was created more to showcase. Here's a framework. Load in whatever values you think are appropriate, and then you can take those values and then apply that framework to decide which teams have the most surplus based on whatever values you choose to use. Um, so I just I'll always keep mentioning that disclaimer, but, but that, that part of it, you know, I want to be very clear that those values are not meant to be, Oh, these are the official values from Justin. This is the best values we should use right now. Um, I put them out there because the calculator doesn't work unless there's some sort of values attached to it. Um, and I figured I'd put something out there. Something's better than nothing or something's better than expecting everybody to create their own values from scratch. Um, I mean, but I think what's I would really also great about, encourage, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think what's really great about your values is that for a lot of people, they don't even know, you know, what do normal values look like? So maybe they go in and they see that the top players at each position kind of fall in a certain range. And then it can be up to them to go and tweak or to look at other systems 
but it kind of gives them some, something to start with to look at, you know, what does a set of values look like and how is that money distributed? What's replacement level? So um, I think in that respect, it's a really good start for anyone who wants to go and think about making their own values to check out the values in the uh, in the calculator there. I I wanted to ask a separate question too, and this kind of went back to Trey's point on Steamer, and this is just for the group as a whole. And it, I bring it up because I know some people will agree that Steamer irrationally influences values this early in the off season. But as I look at the surplus calculator, I had mentioned earlier that I see a lot of leagues with about 115 to 130 surplus assets out of the calculator. Do you think that that number really changes when you add in zips? Or do you think that you're probably looking at about the same range of um, of surplus assets within leagues? My my guess and what I, I would assume is that it, in aggregate, you're probably going to end up with about the same. But I, I wondered what each of you thought on that. Yeah, yeah I, I totally I, agree. I think some of the individual values might be different, but I think as a whole – like throughout the whole league, you're probably looking at around. I think same. that's um, similar to something that you see about projection systems as a whole, actually, which is that, um, say, Steamer, for example, might kind of get the general curve of players, but it's going to miss every so often on this guy breaks <clears throat> out or this guy kind of falls off a cliff that year. So it can kind of capture the general range for each position or for each group of players. And then, you know, there's going to be some variance. And I think as you look at different projection systems, you see the same thing that each system is going to have a similar range of players at each position, even though depending on system to system, that might be different specific names or different guys flipped in value on the actual list. Yeah. And I guess the reason I brought that up is kind of just to play devil's advocate, because I could see someone saying, you know what, I, I don't agree with steamer because I think these values are too heavily influenced by that one projection system being out this early. Um, and because of that, I, it, I think that, you know what, there's really 150 surplus assets in a league instead of 130. And it, I guess as I as I think about it, I just don't know that that's, that's the case. I think that overall you're probably looking at the same, um, or yeah, about I, the I same mean, I, fit of the curve. I think that's absolutely right, yeah. I mean, I will be updating the surplus calculator um, once Zips is fully released, and I don't expect it to change the, the total number of surplus assets in leagues hardly at all. Um, some players are going to go down. Some players are going to go up based on who like, who zips likes more than steamer likes. And, but the, but as you said, the general curve uh, should be exactly the same or, or reasonably, you know, appro- approximately exactly the same. So. Okay. It'd be fascinating if you did it with fans projections though. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'd be really curious to see would, I, it would just cause the whole system to go haywire. <laughs> well, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. Number one, you couldn't do it right now because not all the, the players are projected um, because you have to wait until they have, I think it's five votes or five uh, submissions is the minimum before it. So if anybody wants to up. go make some projections, now's your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you have to keep in mind that, that all these dollar values, they're always, they're not based on a, on a on an actual production level, they're always based on a marginal production level. So even though the fans are are generally optimistic with with you know the the Woba projections, um, it wouldn't matter quite so much because if they're across the board, the overall basis for replacement level is going to be increased. It, it, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, and Dave which Cameron means that, has a, oh, which ahead. means that 
which means that the marginal value is, is the same. It's the same. I mean, you think about the steroid era. I mean, when, when home runs were, were flying out of ballparks, it, it meant that hitting 45 home runs didn't mean the same as it does today. Um, because there was a marginal difference is because you weren't comparing against the guy, the average major leaguer was hitting 10 or 15. He was hitting 20 or 25. So the marginal value of that player was different because even though they had better bulk statistics, so did everybody else. Um, so even, even if you, I guess my point is, is even if you're using the fan projections, it still would probably have reasonably close to the same number of, of surplus assets. It wouldn't mean that, you know, Trout would be an $80 player under the fan projections and, and 65 under Steamer. I think, you know, unless you'd have to have somebody that was so far out projected than anybody, anybody else. Um, and I don't know that that would really happen, even if you use the fan projections. So I think honestly, the, the one difference might be that the fans, sometimes tend to irrationally hate certain players. So you might see somebody that yeah. catches a lot of flack all of a sudden have their value drop to like $2. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, cause that's, there's definitely that reflection of, you know, you had a guy like Justin Turner, for example, last year who really wasn't drafted for more than a dollar or two anywhere in Audinu. Um Steamer liked him. Zips liked him, but I bet his fans projection last year was, was nothing, you know? So, so you're right. Like those sorts of players that, um, they don't really have any buzz. They don't really have any sort of market value. Um, they're the ones that would would probably be projected artificially low um, to offset at least a little bit of the artificially high projections from some of the stars and and young players especially. I mean, that's the one thing. The fans' projections. You, you pick out any young player, and they're going to have higher projections on the fan side than they will on on the steamer and zips side. So. I would expect right. Jonathan Papelbon's uh, fans' projections to be excellent this year. <laughs> um, just a couple of technicalities as we kind of get close to wrapping this up. But for those new to to auto new listening, maybe they're maybe they're entering their first um, keeper deadline after drafting last year. Um, you do have to cut your players by midnight Eastern time on the thirty first. Uh, you actually physically have to go in and cut those players. They won't be cut for you, obviously. Um, once you cut those players, your roster is frozen until your league's auction. So that means you can't trade any more players. You cannot cut players after the keeper deadline. Sometimes we get confused. We forget, but sometimes we think that you can cut after with a penalty. You cannot. The, the rosters are frozen after the keeper deadline. So you have basically the keeper deadline until your auction to, um, to kind of wait it out and see and lock in your roster before the auction starts. Once your auction is closed, your season begins. If you cut a player immediately after the auction, you'll receive a cap penalty at half of it, half of that player's salary. So keep that in mind. Um, I guess one other final note is that been a lot of uh, mentions. Justin's got something coming out very soon on the surplus calculator. Joe's got a great article coming out on keepers and we're going to do an all keepers questions uh, on January 27th as uh, our article on Rotograph. So uh, be, f- be sure to check that out. Send in your keeper questions. We'll, we'll do our best to answer for any of the formats in auto new. Yeah. And as far as the podcast going forward, feel free to any critiques or advice. We are happy to take all of that in. Absolutely. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, we're all pretty excited about uh, being involved in Rotographs this year. Uh, we hope to bring you guys a lot of great content and uh, hopefully convince some of you that might have been on the fence about Autonew to, to give it a chance because we're all big fans and, and we're all hooked. Um, 
So with that being said, have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye.